the house of God. When I get that boat, how many want to come on it with me? Amen. Ride in that truck, go down and get that boat. Amen. We're going to have fun. It's only going to take me about three years to do it. I said I have two choices. I can uh, take up another offering for the boat and stop being a good pastor, or I can start Ubering. That's my little joke I tell people. They're like, why are you Ubering, man? And I'm like, man, I can't take up another offering for a boat. That ain't going to fly. But I'll tell you what, that motivates me right now in the winter. It does, man. It's about ready to get cold. It's already rainy. How many of you know, like, the season has already changed, you know? Like, you already got your hoodies on and all that. So I am motivated. I'm already thinking right now, uh, what is it, Memorial Day? I'm already putting my mind on that in Jesus' name. Set your goals and achieve them. Let's go to Matthew chapter 22. Today we are entering into Jerusalem uh, with Jesus. Uh, Matthew 21, rather. We're going chapter by chapter, verse by verse through the book of Matthew. And today we're going to learn about Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. This is a popular passage for Palm Sunday, and since we don't really uh, have an ability to, you know, to coordinate our calendar with this series, uh, we're just showing up here right now. But this is that typical passage you would read uh, the Sunday before Easter. And so if you're new with us, we started in 2019 going through the book of Matthew verse by verse and chapter by chapter. It's all about Jesus. Somebody say, it's all about Jesus. That's the name of the series. And so today we're going to learn about our humble king. Let's start in verse 1. It says, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. How many of you wish you could go to a car dealership and say, the Lord needs this Maserati right now. I'm going to pick it up on his behalf. I will be driving it for him and uh, we'll send it back when we're done. How many just wish you could do that? I mean, you just wish you could just show up somewhere where the transportation is at and just say, the Lord had need of this and uh, I will be the one driving this off the lot today on behalf of the Lord. That's literally in the context of what's going on. They're walking over to somebody else's stuff, and they're saying, God wants this stuff. We're going to borrow it and be right back. Now, that takes some faith to do that because stealing is stealing in any culture, okay? Now, this was not a theft. Just in case you're thinking Jesus is doing some grand theft auto here with a, with a donkey, you know, uh, that's not what's going on. During this time, animals really didn't have a lot to do if they were just chilling. If, if they were working, that was what they were supposed to do. But if you've ever been to a farm, most animals aren't working during the day. My family and I just went to a farm a, a couple weeks ago. I was sharing a, uh, to you guys in another service or a different time. I remember about the Schomburg place. You guys remember me telling you about that. There's a farm there. It's free. You can see the chickens and all that. Well, anyways, I mean, they're just walking around. So it's, it's not like he was asking something that they were uh, preoccupied in, in some service. He was saying, this thing is tied up. It's chilling. Ask and, and see if we can get it. Now, the reason why he wants to do that is because he hasn't had any livestock. Jesus doesn't have any property. Jesus is a traveling preacher. The, the, the disciples that are with him, they might have had those things, but they've left those things behind. And so they're basically just traveling with nothing in hand, no property, no ownership, and living off of the offerings of the people. Now, we know what Jesus is eventually going to do with these two donkeys. A, a colt is just like a baby donkey, and, and so he's going to ride on one. We know that. But what's cool right here is that he says he wants to borrow it from somebody. Now, we don't know who that somebody is, but that somebody had to agree to it. 
I wonder who that person was and whether or not they understood the great significance that their donkey was going to have that day. Because if that donkey wouldn't have been rode by Jesus that day, that donkey just would have been a donkey. How many understand that? It wouldn't have had a special purpose. It just would have been sitting in a barn doing nothing. And now today, that thing, that donkey gets to have a great purpose. See, I just wonder if there's anybody's uh, resources today, anybody's money in their wallet that may want to be used by God today. If there's any one of you here that want to give some of your resources to God today. See, it gets quiet when I talk about offering. It, don't it? Doesn't it get quiet in here? Look at how quiet you guys are in this Presbyterian church. You think we're going to do another offering right now? But I'm just wondering, is there anybody's money tied to their bank account right now doing nothing? And God is saying, I have need of it. You see, it's real easy to give away those shoes that you don't wear. It's real easy to give those clothes that you don't fit into anymore because you uh, expanded your kingdom a little bit. And uh, now you got to get rid of those clothes. Trust me, I've been there. It's another thing to give something of value. It's another thing to give something that you actually care about. You see, these people cared about their animals. That was money to them. That was their living. That was a paycheck. And they were willing to give it to Jesus. Is there anybody here willing to give something to Jesus? I'm talking about something that's going to cost you something. I'm talking about something that if God puts it in your heart right now, you may want to rebuke the devil over it and say, get away from me, Satan. I'm not giving that away. And then, and then Jesus is going to go, stop calling me Satan, please. Uh, I'm not him. And, and just let me tell you this right now. If, if uh, you ever hear a big ask in your heart to give something and you, just, you feel like something's rising up in your heart to give that to the Lord and to the ministry and all that, how many know that's not the devil? Uh, the devil's not going to tell you give $1,000 to the church. Okay, so let's, let's just get that right right now. The devil's not going to say for you to sacrifice some things to give to your neighbor. That's not the devil, okay? So if you feel that way, that's just you being deceived by the devil to get you to think that it's him. Because he's a slick devil, isn't he? He'll just manipulate your mind. The Bible teaches us that somebody had to give a colt for Jesus to ride on. I just wonder here today in this church, are there people willing to give things to Jesus? It says he's going to give it right back. And isn't that just like Jesus, that whatever he, he receives from us, he gives back? But how many know he doesn't give it back the same way? He gives it back with a blessing. How many know that donkey came back to the barn with a little bit of a blessing on it? Amen. Hey, did you all see me? I rode into Jerusalem. Did you see who was on me today, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? You know, maybe he was a little Charlotte web kind of donkey. He could talk to the other animals, you know, and describe his journey that day. Y'all were just hanging out here in the barn in the smelly place. I was where the disciples and where the king of kings was. Come on, somebody. Is there anybody here that wants to sow a seed and see it come back touched by God, blessed by God? I'm not asking you to sow a thousand to get a hundred thousand. I'm not a televangelist selling you holy water today. I'm just reading the scripture that says somebody gave something and it was given back, blessed by God. I want to give all that I have, and I want to see how it comes back, blessed by God. That's a great place to be in the kingdom is where we can give and receive, give and receive, because he always gives back what we give to him. Listen to me, y'all. Some of you need to give Jesus your dating life and let him give it back to you blessed. Because listen to me, right now without Jesus, all you have is a donkey. And in the King James, you know how they, you know how they spell donkey in the King James? Starts with an A and ends with an S. An S in the middle, are you listening? And some of y'all have, is just a donkey in your relationships. You need to sow, you need to sow your dating into God's kingdom and let him bring back something different. You need to sow your mindset into the kingdom and receive back the thoughts of God. You need to sow your dreams and your plans into the kingdom and let them come back. 
What a beautiful, beautiful story of giving we hear right there that sets up for this next part. Verse 4, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, your king comes to you gentle, or the word humble there is the same Greek word, means the same thing, riding on a donkey and on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. Go with me quickly to Zechariah chapter 9, uh, verse 9, please. Why was it a donkey? You know, how many have watched Shrek before? How many know the donkey's a goofy little animal? Come on. You know, why didn't he pick a steed, a stallion? Why didn't Jesus use the greatest kind of animal? Why didn't he come in on an elephant? How many know that would be awesome, Jesus coming in on an elephant? Y'all quiet today. How many of y'all would like to ride an elephant? I so want to ride an elephant. You know, I go to the farms around here, man, and I get to ride on a camel. You ever rode on a camel before? That's fun. Y'all need to get out and do stuff. Let me just say that right now. You can, you can actually ride on animals, people. And by the way, all of our ancestors came from that, okay? You all city folk. Only thing I ride on is the CTA, Pastor. What's wrong with you? No, you need to get out. Get out this Halloween and go ride on a camel. Go ride on a horse. Go ride on those little ponies, and they get in a circle like that. Like my kids do. Ride on one of those. Uh, the other day, uh, Berto and Griselda were coming over, and Berto loves horses. If you don't know Pastor Berto, he's the man that looks like the Aztec warrior that you'll find in most Mexican restaurants with the woman like this over his arm. That's Berto, Eddie Berto. And so Eddie Berto loves horses. Eddie Berto loves horses. Horses are scared of him when they see him coming, obviously. He's a big giant of a man. But I love Berto so much. I said, brother, these rancheros are by my house all the time riding out in the fields on their horses. Uh, they're just these awesome dudes that got horses out there. And whenever I see them, they're just chilling. I said, I bet you one time if you come over, I can get you to ride on them. And lo and behold, he came over. They were riding back there. I just whistled them over, offered them a few dollars, and he got to ride on the horses. It's on Facebook. It was fun. And here's the thing is a horse is a big animal, man, and, it's, and it has that, that sense of majesty, has that sense of like, you know, you're important. You come riding in on a horse, especially in these times. But why is Jesus coming in on a donkey? Let's go to that passage in Zechariah uh, chapter 9, verse 9. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9 tells us why. There's a prophecy about a donkey, and I want to tie it into uh, the, the time of the kings as well with Solomon. When you see here in Zechariah 9, verse 9, it says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly, humble, gentle, riding on a what? On a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. Let's keep going, verse 10, because when the prophet, uh, excuse me, when the gospel author is quoting a prophet, that is a sign to go back and read your Bible. So when we're reading the book of Matthew and we see Matthew quoting somebody from the Old Testament, you're not supposed to just go, oh, that's neat, and let me just keep going. No, you're supposed to go back and fact check. Like Matthew is believing that you're going to go back and read the Old Testament because the Old Testament was the New Testament person's Bible. Before the New Testament was written, and they're living in that time we call the New Testament, what was their Bible? The Old Testament. So Matthew is preaching to them. Matthew is saying, Jesus is coming on a donkey because of what Zacharias said, and he quotes it, and you were supposed to go back and read the rest of it, because otherwise, Matthew would have to quote the entire book of Zechariah in the book of Matthew, and then it would be an entirely long book. So he's like wanting you to clue in. Here's verse 9. Boom, let's go there, but let's keep reading. Keep going. Verse 10. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim. 
and withdraw the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Wow. So he is going to come on a donkey because he is going to destroy the enemy and the horses and the chariots. Now for us to understand a little bit more about what that would mean, go to 1 Kings chapter 1. You have to work your Bible to understand your Bible. Can I hear an amen? amen. Go to 1 Kings chapter 1 and see here when King Solomon comes into town. When King Solomon comes to town, he is also going to come on a donkey. And go back to my uh, notes and see where it is in 1 Kings. I don't have the verse right here in front of me, please. Just scroll back there. Um, did you refresh the notes? Oh, I'll tell you what, go down. Go down just a little bit. Yeah, um, you didn't refresh the notes, did you? Hit, the, hit refresh for us and we'll get it. Someone find it for me as I'm looking right here, please. 33, thank you, sir. It says, uh, we'll go to verse 32. King David said, call in Zadok, the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Biniah, son of Jehoiada. When they came before the king, he said to them, take your Lord's servants with you and have Solomon, my son, mount my own mule and take him down to Gideon. There have Zadok, the priest, and Nathan the prophet, anoint him king over Israel. Blow the trumpet and shout, long live King Solomon. Then you are to go up with him, and he is to come and sit on my throne and reign in my place. I have appointed him ruler over Israel and Judah. Everybody say amen to that. Okay, let's go back to the notes and put it together. Why is Jesus coming on a donkey? Zacharias says... The king will come on a donkey after he has destroyed, taken away all of the things of battle, all of the horses of warfare. When did we see a taste of that? When King Solomon came into the kingdom that David, his father, prepared for him and became the richest, most powerful king of all of Israel, building the temple and all of these wonderful things. Jesus is saying a greater king than Solomon is now coming to Jerusalem. And he's not coming to war. He's coming in victory because the victory already belongs to him. That's why he's not coming on a horse. He's coming on a donkey in a time of peace, representing he is the prince of peace, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. But y'all, does he ever come on a horse in his second coming when he comes to judge the nations? Do you understand? See, first he comes humble and he says, I got everything that you need. I'm not going to come kicking down the doors. I'm not going to come with the sword. I'm going to come in the victory of my father. I'm going to come in the power of grace and mercy and love. And love can change you and love's going to save you. I'm your humble king. And that's how he comes the first time. How does he come the second time? As a mighty warrior with a sword out of his mouth, hallelujah, striking down all the nations and everybody's knee that hasn't bowed up to that time get their knees broke and pushed down because he is going to rule and reign the bible literally says that his scepter will be a scepter that he slaps the enemies down with he's a powerful king but yet yet come on somebody get it he comes first as a humble king he comes humbly riding on a donkey he's basically saying i didn't come to fight you 
I didn't come to judge you. I didn't come to hurt you. I didn't come to destroy you. I came to give you victory. I came to give you power. I came to give you my kingdom. Come, come. And let's go verse 6. Then the disciples went, did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. Oh, there it was, 1 Kings 1.33. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees, spread them on the road. And that was a sign of honor for the king, that they were welcoming him into their kingdom or into their city so he could rule over them. This would either be a sign that they were defeated and they had lost to that king and they're like, we submit our cloaks. We submit our, our land to you. Come and walk on it and come in peace and you can rule over us. Or if he was just a good king like Solomon where there was no war where they were at, but they're simply saying, you're our king. We submit to you. We give you our cloaks. We give you our, our branches from our, our gardens and all of these things. And now look at verse 9. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Lord, Hosanna in the highest. They start praising God. The word Hosanna means save. They're calling out to their king and they're saying, you're our savior. Go with me quickly to Matthew chapter one, verse 23. How many believe Matthew's a good author? How many know he knows how to tell a story? Now look at this. As Jesus is coming in, they're proclaiming him as Savior, as Hosanna, the one who saves. That's what it means in Hebrew. And now look at Matthew uh, chapter 1, say, start in verse, uh, say, verse 20. Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. But after uh, he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because, you know, she had got pregnant. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are are to give him the name what? Come on, you are to name him what? Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. That's literally what Jesus means. Yahshua, Yahweh saves. Looking back at the notes, we see a sense of the divine revelation. The people get it. They get it. Jesus is not just a man. He is God in the flesh. He is the Son of God. He has come to save us. He's been healing us. He's been miraculously feeding us. He's been rebuking the ones who oppress us. He has been loving even the ones we haven't loved. I mean, he is the greatest king we could ever hope for. They're shouting out for him to save. They're blessing him. They are now ready in their mind for him to march right over to the temple, be crowned king, go to war with Rome, defeat the Roman Empire, and restore the kingdom of David back to Israel. That is where they are at in their minds. And let's skip ahead. How many have read the end of the story? How many know it doesn't end that way? What ends up happening to their king? Just a few days, maybe a week or so later, what are they shouting out crucify him. How did it go from Hosanna to the son of David, honoring him, glorifying him, laying down their cloaks to then shouting out, crucify him? Well, you're going to have to come back the next couple of weeks and see how they turn. But right here at that cliffhanger, we get to see a taste, a taste of who Jesus is in his character. 
A lot of times people think that because he's coming on a horse that he's not kind and loving and gentle and they forget this whole scene. In actuality, my friends, it's because of our wickedness that he went to the cross. It's because of our wickedness that he's going to come and judge the world. It's not that he wants to do that in the sense of it's his first desire. It's not Jesus' first desire to destroy. Go to John 3.16. Let me just share that with you in the most famous passage. In John 3.16, we hear that for God so loved the world. This is Jesus talking. That whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. But how many know there's a John 3.17 and 18? So keep going. It says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. So everybody get this. It's not that God is sending you to hell. You're already going to hell. He's trying to stop you from going to hell. Humanity has already punched their ticket to hell. And ACDC, an old rock and roll band, was so excited about it, they sang about, I'm going on the highway to hell. Are you listening? There's some people that are happy to be on that highway. Jesus didn't come to put you in hell. Jesus came to bring you with him to heaven. He is a humble king. He is a gracious king. He is coming to us in, I mean, it's the way I look at it is if you had a place where you kept your gerbils and your gerbils rebelled against you. And then you came into, and this is going to get weird here, but follow me. It's like a cartoon story now at some point. And then you became a gerbil to live with the gerbils, to tell them to stop rebelling against you. You know, and you start talking to the other gerbils. Listen, that hand that's always coming down in there is there to feed you. Stop biting that hand. You know, treat that hand. Like, and you start trying to talk to, and then imagine this, the gerbils turn on you and kill you. That's what he did. He condescended. He came from divinity in heavenly throne into humanity to tell us about the kingdom, to tell us about how much God loved us and had a plan for us and how it was always meant to be that we were supposed to be his children and be his people. And then what do we do to precious Jesus? And I say we because it's the heart of all sin. We would have done the same thing if we were there in that time. So he didn't come to condemn us. He came to save us. This is that part you have to remember. So if somebody says, I don't like judgment, Jesus, then say, except humble King Jesus. If you don't like the Jesus of revelation or like what he's doing, rather, you don't want him to strike you down, well, then accept him now as the humble King. Humble yourself to your humble King. Can I hear an amen? Amen, amen. precious Precious story. Let's go back to the notes, please. Matthew 21, the story continues after they shout. Verse 10, it says, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. May we know who Jesus is. May we understand him and never forget that not only was he a prophet, he was also a king. He is also our priest. He's also our sacrifice. And what we're going to see, like I said, over the next coming weeks in, in his life and in our story is that uh, we're going to see that they're going, they're going to turn on Jesus because it doesn't go their way.
Jesus is not a king that does what you want. And I know that offends us in America because we want every president to do what we want. We want every mayor to do what we want. We want everybody to do what we want. But Jesus is not Burger King. Are you listening to me? He's not a Burger King. I'm going to say that again. He's not your way right away. He's not a Burger King. He is a King of Kings. Lord of Lords. You have to come under his rule and accept the plan. And, and I don't know about you, but, you know, one of the things I don't like in life is getting into a place like an airport or, a, you know, a, a DMV office. Because all of those things, when I enter the DMV or I enter an airport, they all have one thing in common. I am not in charge anymore. How many know what I'm talking about? The moment you go to the DMV, you grab that ticket, you're not in charge anymore. They'll tell you to go over there. Then they'll tell you to go over there. They'll say, wait 10 minutes here. Oh, this woman went on lunch break. You got to come back tomorrow. I mean, you're not in charge anymore. And how many know in the airport, you're not in charge anymore. It's this gate, then it's over here, and then get padded down over here, get padded down again. Then you can't have this. You can't have this. Oh, this flight's been delayed. You're doing it. You're not in charge. I hate those places. How many just don't like it? How many like being in charge? How many like being able to do what you want? That's the kind of person I am. But that's not the king that we have. But how many know, whenever you go to the DMV, if you just tell yourself, I'm not in charge, I might be here for a while, I got, I got that settled, how many know it goes a lot easier? Then when they tell you for the third time to go to a different desk or whatever, you're just like, okay, wouldn't expect anything different. Of course it wouldn't be at the first desk. I, I knew that. And the same thing at the airport. You're going to be landing two hours later, missing your flight. You're going to get there two days from now. Of course I am. I actually planned on staying here at the airport in my own city for a couple hours. I planned on staying in St. Louis for a while to get to Cancun. Yes, I'm ready for this. How many know once you just, once you just let go and let the process happen, life changes quickly? Because it's a mentality. And see, everybody resisting against God, doing a tug of war against God is doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. That's why you feel the stress of, of his plan in your life. You're feeling the stress of it because you're fighting against it. You're resisting against it. Instead of you resisting against God, let him pull you like I do my child who doesn't have control in a little wagon. You see, that's why the old song goes, Jesus, take the wheel. We need to let Jesus be Jesus. And the moment we do that, we'll see, and I know this is not true about the DMV and airport because they don't have our best intentions in mind, but the moment we let go and let God, we'll see his way is always going to be the best way. When I was trying to date and I was an eager beaver to fall in love, I mean, I made a mess of my dating life. But when I just let go and let God guide me, he guided me perfectly into his plan for my life. I know there are a lot of things that we try to put our hands in and control. We will make it worse. And that's actually what happens. They think that they need Jesus to conquer Rome at that time. But guess what? If Jesus would have conquered Rome and been the kind of prophet king they wanted, then none of us, because there's not very many Jewish people in this church, none of us would have been in that kingdom. See, Jesus had a plan for the world. And for the world, it needed to be his way. And it was going to end, and it's going to end rather, in Matthew 28, now going to the, all, all the world. And so he already told them, i got to go to the cross to do this. I've got to pay the price for sin to do this. I, it's going to be hard, but I've got to do this. And if they would have been listening, certainly the outcome would have been different. But since God knows all things, he's prepared to face what's coming ahead of him. Let's keep going. Now, as we start this passage right here, I just want you to remember what would Jesus do, WWJD. Just remember that. 
that little phrase as I read this, okay? Jesus entered the temple courts, driving out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of God, they were mad, indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked. Yes, Jesus replied. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants? You, Lord, have called forth your praise. And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany where he spent the night. WWJD. Just remember, whenever you're thinking about what Jesus would do, there's always a possibility Jesus might turn some stuff over and whip some people. Is that okay if I do that every now and then? <laughs> Is it okay if I get to be like Jesus every now and then? Now, there are two ditches that people fall into when they read this story about Jesus whipping the money changers. When they read it, they, they fall into one of two ditches, and we got to avoid ditches, stay on the road, okay? One ditch is we can never be angry like Jesus because Jesus is God. Jesus is perfect. We're not. And so anger for us is never justified. Don't you get angry at me and say you're acting like Jesus because Jesus wouldn't be angry and you can't do that and you're not perfect. There's that ditch because now... We're literally like taking a, a note out of Buddhism, which we always have to be of one emotion. So anger is not a real emotion a Christian can ever face because we're not perfect. That's a ditch people fall into. We know that's not true. And then the other ditch is every time I'm angry, I know it's Jesus. Jesus wants me angry. You, you made Jesus angry, and that's why I'm angry. Oh, come on. I use that one a whole bunch. So it, it's, it's two ditches. One is over here going, oh, you know, you can't ever get angry. You're not Jesus. This is not an example you're supposed to follow. WWJD doesn't follow here. Don't do it like Jesus here. Be like Jesus with the children. Be like forgiving Jesus. But don't be like turning over the tables, whipping the money changers, Jesus. And then over here, everybody's like, I'm just angry all the time because Jesus is always angry. Don't you know how much Jesus is angry? He's angry. What's, what's the middle road? What's, where, where are we supposed to be? That is, sometimes you're going to be angry. And sometimes it's going to be godly to be angry. But the Bible says, don't sin in your anger. Don't do something you regret in your anger. Don't do something that's ungodly in your anger. So if it's godly anger, it will have a certain mark that comes with it. It will have righteousness. And so what is righteous about what Jesus is doing? What's righteous about Jesus is doing is he is cleansing the temple. And this is a, a part of the story i got to take some time before we go out of here today and explain because this is what I think the churches have become. In the time of Jesus, Jerusalem is where you would go to do your sacrifices if you were a Jew. That was basically your one church. The Jews had one main church in Jerusalem, the temple. Synagogues were not considered their church. Synagogues were their local meeting places like Bible studies, home groups, those kinds of things. And sometimes we as preachers will equate that to church, but that's not the true comparison. The true comparison is their temple where was their church. That's where they would expect to experience God's presence. That's where they would give their sacrifices. That's where they would give their offerings, so on and so forth. And so when they would come there, oftentimes they would be in one of two situations. 
If they didn't live in the area and they were bringing their required sacrifices, they may not be able to bring all of their animals on a trip. So what they would have to do is maybe bring one animal, exchange it for a whole bunch of smaller animals, and there would have to be some kind of uh, exchange there. Or if they came so far away that they couldn't really bring any animals, just what maybe they might be traveling on, and they're not going to sacrifice their donkey, okay, because that would be like, like, like setting your car on fire. Amen, Jesus, I'm burning it up for you. They were required to offer other kinds of things, so they wouldn't sacrifice a horse. They wouldn't sacrifice a donkey, those kinds of things. They would bring money with them, and then they would have to buy their sacrifice. How many get it? Okay, so either you would come there with some of your animals, you're exchanging stuff, or you're coming there with money, you're buying stuff, and maybe if you came so far, like the Ethiopian eunuch who we learn about in the book of Acts, you might have a different currency. So you might have to go to one guy, hey, I got Ethiopian money, can I get Jewish money? Okay, here's an exchange. Now that I got Jewish money, can I buy this with, can I buy my sacrifice with Jewish money? How many get the picture here? Is that bad? No, there's nothing bad about that. That's actually good. That was providing a service for the people. It was needed. Where else are they going to get their sacrifices from? How else are they going to go to the temple and do the thing right? Let me ask you a question. Are conferences bad? No, they're great. Are, are worship concerts bad? No, they're awesome. They're great. Where has it gone wrong? In the same way that these people went wrong. See, now imagine you live in Jerusalem. And you start to see all these people coming from Ethiopia. They don't know our language too well. They don't understand us. You know what? I'm supposed to give them one of my coins for one of their coins. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to tell them, give me two of your coins for one of my coin. You see what happened? You see? And then, you know what? Since I got, since I got the water at the movie theater and you can't bring water into the movie theater, at the movie theater, we're going to charge you $5 for that $1 bottle of water. Hello, somebody. Hey, man, we forgive you movie theater people if you work here, but y'all robbing us. Come on. How many know they get you at the movie theater? How many know at the ball games they get you? And so just imagine that, that, that person that got the sheep. Normally the sheep way over there, somewhere off in the, the wilderness of Jerusalem area, man, a sheep might be $20, but here at the temple, we're going to charge you $50. You see, they started to make a hustle. See, is a, is a concert bad? No. But when you start telling people in the church to come back through those doors after y'all tithe all week long, all month long, for you to come back Friday night, we're going to have to charge you $30 because there's some tight pant person up here. Are you listening to me? Singing like they got rejected out of Nashville, couldn't make it on America's Got Talent, and now they got to try to live their best life now off of your $30 ticket? Come on, I'm going to turn over some tables. And just because some dude got a, a book idea and then he got on Oprah and now he's going to charge you $14 to read something that's not even as good as this Bible, which is free online. Are you listening to me? I'm not saying it's, it's wrong to you know, put it on paper and cover the cost, but if you can't afford it, take a book out there today and all of our book's information, the black and white is free online. What has happened to the church how have we been so easily deceived in the 21st century? How have we lost our first love for God? It's because the same way they lost their love for God, doing something good over time and then turning it into greed. Our hearts are deceptive, aren't they? You can start off with a pure motive 
You know, I was watching one of my friend's churches, and I, I can't go into too many details, but I am going to go to some of those details. And if you figure out who it is, then good for you. But I'm not trying to call them out, but i got to be a little bit honest with you. I saw that they had a conference for girls. Some of you might have seen it on Facebook. Conference for girls. Mothers, bring your girls. It's going to be a wonderful time. $30 per girl and all of this. And I started thinking to myself, aren't you all about a thousand-person church? Don't you always boast about how God's blessing, he's blessing, he's blessing. We're growing, we're growing, we're growing. You can't afford a conference for girls. You mean I would have to come with my four girls and give you $120? Oh, but they're going to get a shirt and they're going to, well, this charge extra for the shirt, but let us come for free. Oh, but they're going to do the makeup and stuff. I want to, listen, listen, I'm going to call them out right now. Show me your purchase orders. I want to see them right now. How much did you spend on that makeup? How much did you spend on your luncheon and your brunch? You church of $1,000, $2 million, $3 million budget. You greedy thing there. I'm going to turn over your table right now. I'm going to turn it over. I'm going to whoop you in Jesus' name. See, it's one thing for a preacher to say, I might do it somewhere, some way. It's another thing for me to read it and now do it. Now you're looking at me like, oh, my. Well, that's probably what they looked at Jesus when he started whipping them. Oh, my, Jesus. I'm going to turn it over. You see that computer back there, Calvin? Give us a big wave. You see everybody give it up for Calvin helping us out there. Do you know that these popular worship artists charge us to put their song on that computer to go on that screen? Do you know that we are in violation of their copyright laws? If we do not pay a subscription fee where all of these publishers get greedy and take their money, we can't put that K-Love song, that song from the artist that I'm being gracious by not naming their name, up here without paying that fee. I talked to one of the salespeople. I said, is any of you guys Christians over there? Are are y'all Christians? Or or is this this how it works in Nashville? Is this this how you do it over there? Because... uh, do you check on the Church of China? Do you check on them? Do you ask them, do they got the subscription? Do you check on the church right now in the, in the underground places in the middle? Are you checking on them if they got the subscription so they can put your lyrics up there, you greedy thing, you? Like we didn't already give you money to go to your concert, already give you money to buy your, your, your book and all of this stuff, and now you got to charge us just to put the words of your song up there? That's why we recorded our first album in December, and it's going to be free for the church of Jesus Christ. Amen? We're going to record it, and everybody can use it. We got one of our famous songs. You would love this. You would love this, Lawrence. You know, baptize us in the Holy Spirit. You know, that's Heather Clark. Heather Clark was a part of the Lakeland outpouring. We're going to have that on the album. That's the only cover song we're going to have because we love that song. It's an awesome song. I wrote Heather Clark. I said, Heather, we love this song. Can we put it on there? I was going to write her. I was going to say, I'll give you $200 for it, and then whatever we get from the plays of iTunes, I'll give you 33%, whatever. Before, because I, I write in uh, chunks on messages, so the first one I wrote is, hey, Heather, how you doing? Can we use this song? And I was going to put the next chunk of this, this note that I was going to put there. Before I could even answer, she's like, sure, go for it. God bless her. God bless her. 
I then wrote what I said afterward, because you know how you kind of miss each other and, and text like that. So then I put my thing after she had already said yes, and then it took her a day to get back to me. She says, I don't need anything. I don't need anything. See, that's blessed. See, that's somebody that's willing to send out a donkey for Jesus to sit on it because they know they're going to get it back. Everybody else right now is just eating their seed. They're just greedy, man. They want everything they want uh, that they have right now. They want it on this earth. They want their treasures on this earth. You see, they're not going to have any treasures when it comes to heaven. When it comes to heavenly treasures, Jesus is going to say, uh, here's your penny, kid. Boop, go ahead over there. You're going to be singing on the streets of gold like those homeless guys with the little banjo. That's where you're going to be on the kingdom. These people who have been giving it away, they'll be leading the worship up here. Because you gave your reward, you wanted your reward now on this earth, and you had it. In heaven, you don't have much. It gets quiet when I preach like that. But there's going to be some real rank in the heavenly kingdoms. And they're going to find out, man, they, they sold it out. And so, yes, I'm tired of it. I just want to be honest. I'm so sick of it. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of the concerts. I'm sick of all the conferences. I'm sick of how they find a new way to charge us for stuff. I'm just, I'm just done with it. I feel like we need to redevelop the church again. I, I feel like we just, all of us here just need to settle it in our heart. Come on, everybody listen to me. Put this in your mind for five years from now. No matter how big this church gets, you're going to welcome in people for the concerts. No matter how big this place gets, we're going to welcome in people for the concerts, uh, conferences. And some people might say, well, well, what if, you know, there's only so many seats? Listen. We do events like that occasionally. You just go online, event page, whatever, 150 reservations. Everybody make your reservation. There it is. They don't have to pay for it. They just sign up. It's that, it's that simple. Does everybody get that? It's that simple. Okay. We can afford that. You know, and then it would be one thing. Everybody look up at me. It would be one thing if they did that and did some other thing for the community. But these churches that do that, 99% of them, they don't do nothing for the community. They don't love Humble Park. They don't get out there and do nothing for Humble Park. They don't do nothing out there for the single month. They don't get out there and give and give and give. And then here you see little old storefront Metro Praise giving again. You know why? Because we're going to put our donkey out there for Jesus to ride on it. Jesus, ride on this back parking lot. We have made this back parking lot like the six flags of the west side. Are you listening to me? Reese Park. We put rock climbing walls back there. We put bouncy house by God's grace. Nothing to do with us. Please don't think I'm trying to honk my own horn here. I'm saying by God's grace, that has become the carnival area of this neighborhood. We have done so many things in this community. We were out preaching with the Chicago for Jesus truck, and some businessman just dropped a 20 in there. And I was about ready to tell him we don't want the money and anything like that. But then I was just like, oh, we'll just let it go. <laughs> we'll just, I'm like, finally, somebody realizes there's people out here giving stuff away that cost something. I just came here and put it into missions. The Lord told me with every dollar that I make, 5% of it's going to go to missions. Of course, I'm giving my 10%. But all, every dollar that I make, Uber, and 5% is going directly to missions. I can't wait to give Tuesday when it comes in that direct deposit. God is looking for a house that's clean. He's looking for a house with pure motives. He's looking for us now to clean the junk out. If I could get the band to come in closing, please. What needs to be overturned in your life? What needs to be flipped upside down? Because I know I can get greedy. Trust me, I have to look at my heart all the time and say, is this a, is this a need or is it a greed? You got to look at your life and say, is this something I can afford or am I doing something I shouldn't do, you know, something I'm going to regret doing here? We've got to all take our time to look at our lives and then see what's in there that needs to be overturned. I know in my life what needs to be overturned is my heart 
to want to make Metro Praise bigger and fast, uh, faster growing than what God is doing here. And God wants to flip that upside down and say, stop doing it your way, Joe. Let me do it. Get your hands off of it. I know, you, I know you think you're helping, but you're not. Let me flip this thing upside down. Stay in a storefront for 50 years if you have to because I'm not changing, Joe. And every time I've tried to rush it, God has flipped a table upside down on me. But I can say by God's grace, everything he's flipped over, he's brought back right side up. Everything God has taken, he's brought back better. And so what does God need to flip over in your life? Maybe it's an attitude with your spouse. Maybe it's a problem you're having on your job. And he's just saying, listen, I know your coworker, they're not nice, but you need to stop acting like that. I'm flipping over your attitude. I'm not giving you permission to keep being that way. Maybe there's a thing that you're going through right now and God's trying to tell you it's not going to be done that way. And you might be just like these money changers as they're getting whipped by Jesus shouting out, but Jesus, it's a good thing. I mean, it helps. Listen, the Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. God judges our motives. It may look like on the outside we're all right, but on the inside God says, no, your heart's not right. You're sitting at this this table. You're, You're doing this wrong. And so what areas do you need to let God flip over? Let's pray. Father, flip over some things in our life today. Change us and rearrange us. Just as you're sitting at your seat right now, would you think of three things God needs to overturn in your life? Jesus, overturn my desire to have a church that's uh, big and fast growing, but you know, not where you want it to be. Flip over my attitude towards my wife and kids that makes me touchy and agitated easily. Lord, flip over my easily offended uh, nature when I'm out with people and they're not treating me the way I want to be treated. Come on. I-